Pastor Ryan's going to take the stage here in just a moment, but I want to share another scripture with you guys. Uh, This is one that early on in my walk with Jesus, uh, as my dad was helping me get rooted and established in my relationship with Jesus and just doing quiet times and memorizing scripture. And this was just a chunk of passage that has been just written on my heart. And I just want to share it with you guys. And you find it in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, spoiler alert, you might hear it again here in just a minute. But I'm going to start at verse 23. It says, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. Not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, that's what we're doing right now. Like you guys could have went anywhere else in this moment, or you could have just stayed in bed or in your pajamas, whatever. But we're here, we're gathered together here today. Did you know that that's a spiritual discipline? Like the fact that we all come here, like that is a discipline. Because think about how easy it would be to go do something else. But you chose to invest your time to be here in this moment right now. And I'm thankful for that. And I hope that we would all be encouraged here today. So I'm going to invite Pastor Ryan up on the stage right now. um, You know, normally what we would do is like we would pray. And then like when the person's praying, like we move everything on the stage. And some people would say, oh, that's a transitional prayer. Like, no, that's not what we're doing. That's not our heart and our intent. But I just felt prompted here this morning um, that I just, I wanted to like lay hands on Pastor Ryan and to pray for him, right? And if you're comfortable and willing, just as a symbolism of laying of hands, if if you don't mind extending your hand out, because we read all throughout the Gospels and the book of Acts, there's something supernatural, it's crazy, I don't know how to explain it, but there's something that happens about the laying of hands. And so I just, I'm thankful for my friend and my pastor, and I just want to lift him up, and that Holy Spirit would just be all over this morning. Amen? All right. So Father God, thank you so much for my friend and my pastor. And Lord, just my prayer each and every week for my friend and my pastor, would you just use him? Would he just um, be a vessel for you and your message? Lord, I know that he has spent uh, time with you and in prayer and just meditation. And and so, Lord, I just pray that you would continue to inspire those thoughts. And, And Lord, I just pray that you would use him to encourage each one of us here today. Lord, thank you, uh, the way that he has a love for each one of us and the way that you've called him to shepherd our church. And so, Lord, we just pray for uh, supernatural direction. Would you continue to inspire vision in our pastor? But Lord, here and now in this moment, as we get into your word, we want to hear from you. And so would you use my friend, our pastor, to speak to each one of us? Not that it's Ryan's words, but it's your words in and through Ryan. And so, Lord, we lift him up, and we also lift our hearts and our minds up, and then we, that you would open those things 
so that we could receive what you have for each one of us here today in this moment. So Father, we give you all the honor, glory, and praise. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. 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 Thank you, brother. Well, good morning, everyone. Let me welcome those watching online. Hey, I think it's pretty awesome you're here today. I think it's awesome that you're here every Sunday. I love Sundays. Best day of the week. All right, it's Sunday. I love, and I say this a lot, it it really feels like Thanksgiving. That brothers and sisters in Christ to gather together to worship through uh, song and the word. I I love it. I love feasting together in worship and the word together. And uh, I also think it's awesome you're here today because this is the second least attended Sunday in the entire calendar year to church in America is Labor Day weekend. Do you know what the first lowest attendance Sunday in America is? Memorial weekend. Why? It's the unofficial kickoff to summer, right? And so people are like, get out of town, right? It's the first time that we get to go camping or something like that. And then the second worst is Labor Day weekend because for especially parents, you're like, this is our last chance, right? Kids are back in school. Like it's, it's, it's the official like killing of summer this weekend, if you will, because we know what lies ahead, at least, at least in Michigan, right? Uh, the colder weather will be coming around. So those are your two lowest. Guess what the third lowest attendance Sunday is? Some of you already said it. Fourth of July, right? Smack dab in the middle, right? So welcome to the second lowest attendance of church right here. So I think it's awesome. Uh, I was talking to staff a little while back. I said, you know what? I think we ought to make those Sundays moving forward like the biggest Sunday that if you are camping, you're going to regret you're not here. <laughs> I, I just... Uh, There it is. All right. Hey, we're in our continuing series, uh, the book of Acts, uh, Awaken. And uh, man, I love today's story. Today's story brings so much importance, not only for us today, but it brings importance for the story next week in Acts chapter five. So they kind of, one story, we're going to get this direction, then we're going to get something totally different, what these people were doing in the next chapter. So today is important as well as not just for that, but for next week as well to understand next week's story. So if you got God's word, If you have your tablet or your Bible, will you turn with me to Acts chapter 4, verse 32, verse 37, and we're going to look at the end of this chapter together, and as we go there, and as you turn there in God's word, uh, I want to remind us of where we've been in Acts chapter 4. Man, there's a lot of good stuff in Acts chapter 4, and I love the book of Acts, man. I just, you see an alive church in the book of Acts. You see the move of God in the book of Acts, and oh, we desperately need to see and continue to see the move of God in our culture today. Amen? It needs to, God moves here and in us and then through us to impact our communities and that's what the book of Acts, you get. The actions of the apostles of Jesus Christ. The actions of the early church moving forward and how they spread the gospel. The good news of who Jesus Christ is to that ancient first century world. And, and yet last week, how many of you enjoyed the outdoor service? You guys enjoy it? Yeah, that was awesome. Thanks for all of our change makers. All of you guys are in attendance. The one comment I heard was, uh, well, several comments was, we need to do this more often. And I was like, that would be awesome. The second thing is, I noticed the pastors were in the shade the whole time. (laughs) 
and the rest of you are in the sun. Uh, I, I apologize. It was like the connection cords and all of the equipment were run into all the sound that went into the, our building. So that's why it was set up that way. I could have told you to bring your sunglasses. We didn't, and I'm sorry. We'll get it right next time. Maybe give you some Radiant Life sunglasses next time or something you guys can wear. Or bring a pop-up tent. I, it was just fun. We heard a comment, too, that you could hear our singing all the way to Omina Lake. How awesome, right? Uh, thank you to the city if you're listening. I hope, Lord willing, we didn't get any complaints. Uh, but I love that we closed with this idea of I speak Jesus and they could hear us at Omina Lake. May we always speak Jesus, amen? And so what we're noticed when we ended up last week is that the early church, they were marked by things. God was moving, but we looked at the... Uh, the um, close of Acts chapter 4, right before the close of it, it says that, man, they, they were praying, right? Peter and John were persecuted, said, don't talk about Jesus, and they're like, I'm sorry, we have to, right? And then they went to the church, and they, they're praying. They were a praying church. They were a powerful preaching church. They spoke Jesus, and then they were a spirit-filled church. It said the spirit came, shook the place, and the spirit filled them. And they had a boldness. They sp- spoke the word of God boldly. And so this is where we enter, and we're going to see this unique characteristic of the early church coming out of that. And uh, this summer, we had some of our Radiant Life students come up and read the scripture. And we're going to do that on the first Sunday of every month. Just invite a next generation student to come on stage and read us God's word. Um, I think it's important for us to realize we are bigger than this room. That there are generations out there in their ministries, but they're always a part of us, and they're learning and growing as well. And so I think it's awesome. So I'm going to invite, I made all this up as of last night. Like that we're going to do this the first of the month and then realized, uh uh-oh, it's the first of the month tomorrow. And so I had an easy go-to person. I just turned to my daughter and said, would you do it, right? And so she gets to be, she was willing to do it. So I'm going to call Gabby. You can come on up. And then we're going to... You got more fans than I do, sweetie. Um, So Acts chapter 4, and uh, you can follow along in your Bible, and it'll be on the screens as well, and Gabby is going to read us the word of God. Before she reads, we stand. Let's read and honor God's word together. We stand and read. Acts 4. Oh, I got to turn this on. Sorry, that would help. Acts 4, 32 through 37. Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But instead, they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all of those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, by birth the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. The word of the Lord. Can we thank Gabby for speaking to us? And you may sit. Thank you. Go ahead, have a seat. Turn to your neighbor and say, we get into the word, so the word gets into us. 
Man, I love God's word. And I think what we read there as the close of Acts chapter four is some powerful things that we all need today. I wanna talk about something that can make a difference in our lives and that's encouragement. And let me just show you an immediate definition of a dictionary of encouragement. It's a noun meaning this, the action of giving someone support, confidence, or hope. I think there is only actually one encouragement we can give and that is godly encouragement because there is no hope hope outside of Jesus Christ. There's worldly encouragement, but that's not true encouragement because if you give hope, it's only Jesus. So there is Christian encouragement. There is godly encouragement. We live today in a world full of negativity. Just turn on anything on television, you'll understand, right? We live in a world full of criticism. We live in a world that wants to tear down and bite at people. That is what it feels like our culture is today. And I truly believe, especially people that claim to be followers of Christ, disciples of Jesus, what we need is someone to come alongside us and encourage us in Christ. Because I know this, a scarcity of godly encouragement can become a crisis for any soul. We need godly encouragement in our lives. Now, encouragement is not just flattery. It's not just there to pick you up and make you, if you will, to have a larger head than what you already have. Encouragement can be course correction. The most loving thing a brother and sister in Christ can do is realize, listen, this path you're walking is not the way of Jesus. Let me gently remind you what your Christ, what Jesus Christ died for. This is the way of Jesus And this is the path he wants you to walk. That is godly encouragement. I truly believe that when you and I do in godly encouragement, we can literally help brothers and sisters in Christ shift their perspective. We can change how they look at things and we can give them true hope and it's Jesus Christ. If there's one place, one people that ought to be known as as a people group of encouragement, it ought to be the church and Christians, amen? We ought to be marked by that. And I love what Hebrews, or Romans 15, four says this. I love this verse, because this for me is like the Sunday morning passion. Paul writes to the house churches in Rome, for whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope. How do you and I have hope? Through endurance and through the encouragement from the what, friends? Whew, that's why we gotta get into the word so the word gets into us and we get it. Um, what I love about that is uh, one of the last, the last book to be canonized into our Bible means to fit the measure requirements to fit the authenticity of God's word. The last book, the last letter incorporated into our canon was Hebrews because they had to know the author and that's the one book we're just kind of unsure of who the authorship is of Hebrews. But here's what the writer of Hebrews says. I love this. Let us think of ways to motivate one another. Maybe your translation says to spur one another on to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We ought to be marked as people of godly encouragement. 
what I know is what you and I need. We don't need hearts more filled with self. We need hearts regularly inflamed with God. That's what we need. Listen, if I was to walk alongside you and cusp your face into my hands, first of all, you're going to think, you're weird. I would agree. But get this. If I was to look at you and say nine great things about your face, and I told you one bad thing, you know what you're going to go home and look in the mirror and remember? The one bad thing. We need to be people that lifts each other up and not tear each other down. I'm talking godly encouragement that's soul anchoring. That anchors our soul in Jesus Christ. So when we walk through the troubles and our hearts are troubled and we're walking through affliction, that person, that brother or sister in Christ will rise up and remind us our soul anchoring point is Jesus and Jesus alone. We need a heart stirring where we understand the presence of God is stirring. What is that feeling? What is the voice of God saying to me? And God can use our community of believers. That is also why I think uh, the writer of Hebrews says... Don't give up meeting together. You need each other. We need to understand that as we hear the voice of God, this is one thing. I feel the spirit leading me this, but I'm in biblical community because I need you guys to discern, my leadership team to discern, make sure I'm hearing the Lord right. I don't just run to my wife and say, is this right? Because that's good. I run to the leadership team that's around me. I'm hearing the Lord say this. Please discern with me. Never make decision outside of biblical community. Because you can go wayward. And guess what? You're not infallible. You could hear wrong. You can. Don't make a decision outside of biblical community. And don't just allow your biblical community to be your immediate family. Because you know what? Sometimes a lot of the spouses will be. Yeah, go for it. Right? You know why? Because we're supportive. You could be resporting the wrong voice. Okay? Does that make sense? We need soul anchoring, heart stirring, Christ centered encouragement. Amen? That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the flattery. I'm not talking about building to the big head. That's not what I'm talking about. I love what Gabby read. At the end of Acts chapter four, right, we're introduced to a character. This is awesome. I love this character. This character's name is Joseph, but the apostles give him a little nickname, right? He's, he's Barnabas. Barnabas is known as his nickname, meaning son of encouragement. Barnabas is known as the encourager in the early church. And I love that we're first introduced to him in that moment where he's son of encouragement. And what does Barnabas do? He sells things and gives it all to the church and lays it at the apostles' feet and says, take it. And he's encouraging the church through his generosity that way. Did you know this? Outside of Peter and Paul in the book of Acts, that Barnabas is the third most mentioned person in the book of Acts. The encourager is. If you want to be a key player in the early church, be an, or if you want to be a key player in the church, be a godly encourager in the church. So I'm going to give you three principles of encouragement today, and we're going to look at different aspects of the rest of the book of Acts here and there, and it's going to be, oh, this is why I love encouragement. It has shaped my soul for Jesus Christ. 
It has gotten me out of mucky situations and picked me back up into right perspective with God. And we need it today. So here we go. Principle number one, encouragement is something that God does. Let's get to know the God we worship and the God we serve. Encouragement is who God is and what he does. Uh, Paul writes to the Christians in Corinth, and this is what he says in 2 Corinthians. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all what, friends? Comfort. Now get this. In the original text, this is written in Greek. Remember, the New Testament is mostly Greek, some Aramaic, translated into Latin, translated into English. We go back to the original text here in the Greek, and this is the Greek word. It's parakaleo. Let me hear you say parakaleo. Here's what's fascinating. In John, when Jesus is with his 12 disciples and he's telling them, hey, I need to go away to the Father so I can send the Holy Spirit, the comforter. It's the first time Jesus mentions Holy Spirit and he uses the name parakletos. The comforter's coming. Here's what I love about this term. It not only means comfort, this term has several meanings. This term is packed with richness. It means comfort, it means exhortation, and it means encouragement. The God, he is a God of all comfort and the God of all encouragement. And then Paul continues to write on. He comforts, encourages, it's the paracleto. That's what God is doing. He, God, in all of our affliction, praise God that he's there comforting and encouraging us in our affliction, amen? Man, I'm thankful for those moments. But now look, so that, why does God do that? So that we may be able to comfort and encourage those who are in in any kind of affliction. So we receive it from God, so you and I can go be a blessing and an encourager to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Then, through the comfort and encouragement, we ourselves receive from God. That is what we are called to do, to comfort. A little further on in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, we're reminded as Luke, the author, writes this about who the Holy Spirit is. He says this, so the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and it was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. What does the Spirit do? One of the roles is to encourage you and I. And look what happens when encouragement from the Spirit comes. The church increased in numbers. They had a move and blessing of God. Encouragement, know this, encouragement is something that God does and it is who God is. He is a comforter, he is an encourager. And if you don't have that view of God, you have the wrong God in your mind. He is a comforter. He is an encourager. And it's interesting, as we begin to look at the marks of the early church, that encouragement, you're going to see this thing blow up like crazy with Barnabas as we dig deeper. So remember, encouragement is something God does. Here's principle number two. Encouragement is expressed through generosity. Encouragement is expressed through what, friends? Generosity. Here's my disclaimer. The issue is when we hear or think of the word generosity, our minds have a tendency to run to money. Money is not all of it. Money is part of it, but it's not all of it. 
I want to give you three things that come to mind when a person is an encourager, what they're generous with. I want to give us three things. Number one, you're generous with your words. First and foremost, you're generous with your words. You say the good thing, you say the kind words, you say the encouraging godly things, you build others up with your words, not tear them down. You don't focus, oh come on now, you don't focus on what is wrong, but what is right and good and pleasing. I know statistically out of COVID, out of those two, two years ago, that craziness we all went through together, is that this depression and anxiety went on the rise. No wonder why Paul writes, hey, you ought to think of things that are praiseworthy. You ought to think of the good. Because you focus on the negative, your thought process is going to take you places that aren't good for your soul. And he says, think of the, and then he says, hey, think of heavenly things, not of earthly things. Those heavenly things will last forever. This earth is going to perish. And remember, you can't take anything here with you. The only currency of heaven is a soul. And he says, so think of those things, not all this stuff. I love what Ephesians 4, what Paul says in Ephesians 4, 29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Stop there. Some of us just need to sit on that. Parents, your kids listen to you. They're good listeners. What are you saying around them? What are you criticizing and being very negative about that their ear has your attention? Be careful. If you're going to have those conversations, be covered in grace, but make sure that door is shut and the kids are four rooms away from you. Don't let them get jaded because of what we say. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But what? but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. We ought to be marked by this verse. As Christians, as disciples of Christ, we ought to be marked by that verse. I, I love coaching football. I love that a lot of our coaching staff in the high school and the middle school level come here at our church. I, I, I love that. I love that our football program here in Sturgis has a lot of Christ followers coaching these kids. One of our standards is, we better not one time hear you swear. And middle school was exciting. That's where my focus is, is in the middle school program. Pray for me. <laughs> Pray for the teachers in the middle school. And um, this past Thursday, we were at practice, and I get out there, and some of the coaches are like, ah, we, we, we think we heard someone cuss. And I was like, oh, no. So, but when I got out there, they're like, we already made them run. I was like, oh, good. But did they puke when they run? Like, that's, uh, that's what they should do. And uh, they, they made them do an extra run as a unit, as a whole team, came together, and I spoke to them briefly. And I said this, I will love you guys for the next X number of weeks we have football season together. But the one thing that will get under Coach Bibb's skin is hearing you swear because I said, you will not hear that from any one of our middle school football coaches. You're not going to hear that. And we will be gentlemen. And you will watch your mouth. I said, is that understood in all 30 whatever, how many people do we have, Coach Carey? I don't know. 40 kids out there said, yes, sir. I was like, ooh, that's better words. You can call me sir anytime, by the way. <laughs> don't let it. 
They're, kids, listen. Man, I'm going to tell you right now, kids will mimic what they see in the home. We've got to watch it. We'll look at what the, or Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews says. But encourage each other. How often? Don't you love that? You know why? Because you know you need it daily. Right? He didn't sit there and go, hey, encourage them when you feel like it. Or you ought to encourage your brother and sister in Christ when they're only nice to you. He didn't say that. There's no qualifiers. He's just saying, it's daily, friends. It's daily. Brothers and sisters in Christ ought to encourage one another. Why? Listen, so none of you are hardened by sin's deception. Sin will kill you and destroy you. And sin will sneak up on you. And that's why we need to be in community with brothers and sisters of Christ, encouraging godly, Christ-centered encouragement to get us back to follow the way of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I've never met a, any human being that goes, you know what? I suffer from far too much encouragement in my life. <laughs> just hold up. Yeah, I, just, I, just, I got my bucket filled today of encouragement. Don't need any more. You ever met them? If you have, they ought to write a book. <laughs> Never met them. We need it, don't we? We need it. In Australia, there's, um, there's a saying. They have a lot of poppy flower fields, and it's called the tall poppy syndrome. They go and cut down, and it's the idea in the poppy field, you would end up cutting the tall one, but they use that outside of their poppy fields. That's why they call it the tall poppy syndrome, because they have a tendency over there to cut down people. And they, as a country, are aware of it. May our words build up, not tear down. In Jesus' name. Because remember this, I love what Proverbs 18, 21 says. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. You speak death or life with your words. Which one are you speaking? Here's the second way that we are generous with encouragement is expressed through generosity is that when we are generous with our finances, there is an aspect to this. And can I just, let's just get it out of the way. Get it out of the way. Everyone wants your money. Is that fair, fair ground? Comcast wants your money. Charter wants your money. Every store you go into wants your money. The clothes on your back, where you buy them, want your money. Everyone wants your money. My encouragement is this. May we put our money into where there is the significant kingdom impact. Where eternal impact will last forever, not the temporal. Your greater $60 to charter will benefit more in the church world for people to be discipled and to know Jesus Christ than have that cable box sit there. I'm not against cable, don't get me wrong. I'm sorry, it's just my example I use. That's all. Does that make sense, friends? What I love about that Acts moment is, oh, there's an encouraging word. This is where it gets tied into next week's story, is this moment right here about being honest. We say, God first. Man, church, we say this when we, when we talk about our offering, our tithes. We say, God first, God first. I want to know, are we really God first? Or are we just allowing a pastor to come on this platform and say, God first? It's not yours anyways, it's his. He's blessed you with it. And you look at the principles of money, it literally is 
trust me with what I can give you. Give to the storehouse. Give back to the kingdom purposes with the tenth, the tithe. Trust me with the 90. I wonder how many times we trust ourselves and finances more than we trust the God who blesses us with the finances. Because the book of Acts, Joseph, a Levite, which means he's from the priestly family. In other words, he's from the pastoral family lineage. From Cyprus by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement. Watch what he does. Sold a field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. I am broken over this verse. Because you know what I would do? Give a little bit to the church, because that field was mine. Hold on a lot for me. But what does Barnabas do? He lays it all down at the apostles' feet. And he says, the kingdom come. You guys figure out how to, how to, how to feed and how to, how to distribute the money to the needy, our brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm, convinc- I'm convicted by that. This is the encourager, encouraging the church with his generosity of his finances. What I love is, do you know where he's from? Well, of course you do, because it says Cyprus, right? Let me show you. Cyprus was a pagan, Roman, Greco island. Here's a beautiful picture of um, on the east coast in Salamis in Cyprus. By the way, that city gets brought up several times in the book of Acts. This is the theater on their right. The theater was their communication piece for how they wanted everyone to live. It was how they promoted culture was through the theater in the ancient world. If you see to the top left, there's all those white pillars. And then there's like in the top left-ish center is like a big like bricks. You see that? Yes? No? (laughs) That was the gymnasium. That gymnasium was massive. That gymnasium had hot tubs, it had pools, it had the weight room with statues of champions who had gone into that. I mean, it was Roman, Greco, pagan goddess Venus was worshipped. It had everything. Here's the coastline of Cyprus. It kind of reminds you of California a little bit. The beautiful cliffs and then the waters. It had it all. Even today, there's a church of Barnabas there in Cyprus in honor of Barnabas and who he was. It had everything. His entire culture, Barnabas, on that island was, I can have it all. And he could have had it all, but what'd he do? Use it, church. Use it. Then he goes on and he says this, now the entire group, I love this, I love this in verse 32. Now the entire group of those who believed were were one heart and mind. You know who their one heart and mind was? The resurrection of Jesus. They may have probably had little differences, right? But it was Jesus. And no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. From there, there was not a needy person among them because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. Then this was then distributed to each person as any had need. Now what this is not promoting real quick, I need to say this, is this socialistic, communistic type of arrangement where y'all have to sell your houses. That's what I'm telling you to do. I'm not saying that. 
In fact, we know not everyone sold everything because there's still house churches in the rest of the book of Acts. And when they traveled, that people, the church met in homes. So they were still held in high regard for places. But I'm saying sometimes, honestly, if we're truly, if we truly, truly step back, finances can have a grip on us. It can. And we're just asking ourselves, man, what happens if I start being generous here and there? I think that grip that's so tight begins to break. And you'll see God do amazing things. Here's the third and final one. When a person is an encourager, they're generous with their time. With their what, friends? Oh, let's be honest, and I'm going to raise my hand on this. How many of us love me time? It's just you, me time, right? We need it, right? Everything becomes dead to us, and you're like, ah, I get to do what I want to do, right? It's so good. Um, You know, I talked about, I don't like the word busy. Our culture says that too much. I'm just busy. No, you're booked, right? I mean, you put on your time, you put on your calendar what you value. We'll take priority on your calendar. You're just booked. That's all right. I'm just wondering, are we booked with the right things? Are we booked with things that matter? I love this moment, and get this. Remember, what is Paul's nickname? Son of what? Encouragement. Get this. There's a guy by the name of Saul. Saul's name would eventually be Paul. Paul is the Roman version of Saul. Who does Paul, Saul, gets, he goes by the name Paul. You know what he does? Evangelizes the entire Roman world. Hence the name, the conversion from Saul to Paul, his Roman name. Get this. Paul, or Saul at the time, he persecuted the church. He was a notorious sinner. He wrote a letter and he said this, Christ came to die for sinners. And then he goes, and by the way, I'm the worst of all of them. And I love that that makes, us, makes our Bible. Because that means the Holy Spirit who inspired the writings let that statement stand. And I wonder if the Holy Spirit goes, yep, you were pretty bad, Paul. Like, you were real bad. But Christ. But Christ covered my sins. And I'm a new person. It was that guy who arrested Christians, tortured them to blasphemy the name of God. He put them to death. He was at the stoning of the first martyr that we have, Stephen, when they laid their coats down so they could stone Stephen. He arrested Christians. I mean, he was a bad dude. And he's headed to a city called Damascus. And God's like, oh, Jesus gets gets to him and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he says his name twice. There's seven occurrences in the Bible where the person's name is said twice. And it's a course correction that God is calling that person to. There's an awakening in the soul of that person. And he's going to go from Saul, Saul, to become Paul, the greatest first century missionary we've ever seen. Praise God for him. Praise God. And in Acts chapter 9, this gets fun. It's that guy that tortured the Christians. He, Paul, came to Jerusalem. He, Paul, tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing he really was a disciple. They're literally like, you're crazy. You're gonna let this guy in? You know what he did, right? But who's there? But Barnabas, the encourager. 
He took him and brought him to the apostles. I love this, this, this next verse. And he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. How did Barnabas know that? He had to have taken some sort of time to hear Paul's story in order to know that. You ever put yourself into Paul's shoes and probably understand he's probably maybe a little discouraged knowing I used to persecute these people and now I'm a part of them. I wonder if they will believe me. You never know how far encouragement will go in someone's life. And then it says, Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. You know how many books Barnabas wrote in the Bible? The encourager? None. Do you know how many Paul wrote? 13. I wonder how much that encouragement from Barnabas helped him keep following the way of Christ. Let me ask you a question. Who's a Barnabas in your life? Who's that encourager, that brother or sister in Christ that is that encourager in your life? Because friends, we all need a Barnabas. Let me flip it. Who are you a Barnabas to? Who are you encouraging? Because your generosity with your words, with your finances, and with your time the Lord can use for mighty things. That's why I love even coming to church and you're like, you know what? I may get nothing out of the message or worship, but you never know what the one word you're gonna have in that lobby will spark in a person. And maybe the whole reason you are ever here is God said, I put a divine appointment in front of you in that lobby. That's why I need you here. Encouragement is expressed through generosity. Here's my last one. Encouragement creates unity. This is so fun. Encouragement creates unity that leads to God's anointing and power. Oh, this is fun. So buckle up. The powerful working of God in a place comes when encouragement happens. Godly, Christ-centered encouragement. Acts chapter 11. Oh, this is so fun. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's word is good. Here we go. Acts 11, watch this. Now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen, the guy that was stoned to death for his faith, made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. So right now, what's happening? The word of God is spreading. Why? Because of persecution. Right? It was in Jerusalem. Now it's spreading because of the persecution. And where is it only going to right now? The Jews. Oh, this gets good. So look at here. We're told here three cities, right? They're in Jerusalem. They're spreading to Phoenicia. There's the Cyprus where Barnabas is from. And all the way up to Antioch. By the way, Antioch in Acts chapter 15 will eventually become, or Acts chapter 11 will eventually become the center of the Christian movement. We'll move to Antioch. 
What I love about this is God is so good. He knew when the perfect time was to send his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. Because who's ruling the Roman Empire or the Roman world? Caesar. What's Caesar's nickname? Son of God. And Jesus, God saying, let me tell the world who the true son of God is. Who is Herod is ruling in Jerusalem. Herod is known as the king of the Jews. And God's like, let me show you who the true king of the Jews is. And what's so awesome is the entire Roman world was now paved with roads. And there is a picture of the Roman road with those arches. And now God's like, thank you, Roman government, because now my message can spread a lot more easier because you paid for the roads to be paved. Isn't God awesome? He works amazing things. And it goes on, it says, but there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also. Uh Uh-oh. We were only going to the Jews right now. And now they're proclaiming good news to the Lord, to the Greeks. So we have people from Cyrene and Cyprus now making their way to Antioch. And now we're giving Jesus to two people groups, the Jews and the Greeks. What do we do now? They're totally different worlds. And here's what happens. News about them reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent out who, friends? Go figure. Wouldn't you send the encourager to to go figure this out? Like you're gonna be the one to discern and encourage the right way to put them on the path of Jesus. Of course, we're gonna send Barnabas out to figure this out. Plus, we don't wanna do it. It's gonna be hard. You go do it, Barnabas, right? To travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived, he saw the grace of God. Oh, and he was glad. And what, friends? God, isn't that awesome? The encouragers being encouraged. I love that. All of them, and encourage all of them to remain. Hey, Greeks and Jews, remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. And then we get a glimpse, another glimpse of who Barnabas is. For he, Barnabas, was a good man, full of the spirit and of faith. You and I want to be an encourager and be a reflection of God. May you and I be full of the spirit and of faith. And I love in that moment, he's like, okay, I get it. Listen, God's grace is on all of you guys. Let's come together, Jews and Greeks and Gentiles, because then the race doesn't matter. And all t- um, uh, ethnicity, ethnicity doesn't matter. What matters is Jesus died for all. And he's like, this is good. And here's what happens. The encouragement came. There was unity now with the Greeks and the Jews. And then Acts tells us this, a large number of people were added to the Lord. Praise God. You see this anointing that comes. And you see God's presence and power because of this encouragement of unity as one. And then it says this, Barnabas isn't done. Um, he, He goes to Tarsus to search for Saul. Why would he do that? Because the last time we knew, he was taking time to get to know the guy. Hey, we'll send the one that, you know him, you go get him. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Again, Antioch will become the Christian center of the ancient world. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. Who's in this church? 
Jews and Greeks. And he's teaching them, and he's going to give a year of his time to teach the church to say, remember unity, remember there's the resurrection power of Jesus Christ available to all. And I love this, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Before this moment in Acts chapter 11, Christians were only known as the way. They knew they followed the way of Christ. They followed the way of Jesus. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so everyone said, we don't know what to call them, so we're just going to call them followers of the way or part of the way until this moment. And I wonder, what about this moment? Why did the group there decide, oh, they're Christians? The word Christian literally means to be Christ-like, little Christ, little Christ. You and I are called to be little Jesuses to this world. And what I find fascinating about this verse, it was the unity in God's moving anointing and power that took two people groups, made them one, and the outsiders looked and said, Christians. There is power to encouragement. Encouragement creates unity that leads to God's anointing and power. Our job is to encourage and we leave the results up to God. Be careful we don't base or evaluate the importance of Christ-centered encouragement by the way people have responded. You may encourage someone and they desert you. You may encourage someone and they turn their back on you. You may encourage someone and they quit on you. Leave those things to the Lord and don't get caught up rehearsing those hurts. Because oftentimes people who act out or act up come around and that's why you and I always as, as disciples of Christ, as followers of Jesus, we must keep a tender heart. Something interesting happens in Acts chapter 15. See, we get to Acts chapter 15 and verse 36 and Paul and Barnabas, son of encouragement, they take a missionary trip together in the ancient world all over present-day Turkey, which is known in the biblical text as Asia Minor. Planting house churches, planting movements of Jesus. They get back, and they're ready to go on a second one, and they want to go and check up on those churches on the first missionary journey, what they did. In Acts chapter 15, we get this. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how, many new, how the new believers are doing. You know why Paul would bring Barnabas? What, are they gonna, what is Paul's goal? Let's see how they're doing. Go, we got to go encourage them to lift them up. If they got off track, let's encourage them back to the way of Jesus. Barnabas agreed. He wanted to take his cousin, John Mark, with him. 
John Mark, the writer of the gospel of Mark that you and I have. But Paul disagreed strongly. Since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. I bet you Paul was a little hurt by that. The dude ditched us. We ain't taking him. Barnabas is like, yeah, we need to take him. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. They did a great move of God in their first missionary trip, Paul and Barnabas. And they separated. Barnabas, the encourager, took his cousin, John Mark, and they sailed back to Cyprus to go minister there. What's interesting is Paul gets a guy by the name of Silas and says, all right, Silas, let's go. And Paul and Silas then take two missionary trips together, known as Paul's second and third missionary journey. Real quick, how do you always remember who Paul took? The first trip was Paul and who? Barnabas, PB, peanut butter, PB. The second two, he took who? Silas, P.S., in addition to P.S. That's how I remember him. P.S., I got to take you, Silas, with me. Here's what's fascinating. Biblical scholars will say Paul wrote this letter perhaps weeks or months before his death, and he writes 2 Timothy in chapter 4, verse 11. He writes this to the pastor Timothy, who's pastoring the church in Ephesus, that you and I get the letter Ephesians from. And Paul says this. Remember, he's separated. He says, we're not taking the guy who deserted us. And he says this to Timothy. By the way, bring Mark. Bring John Mark with you. Why? For he's useful to me in the ministry. May you and I never give up on people. This is also why we need brothers and sisters in Christ and community with us to remind us Jesus never gave up on us and we shouldn't give up on others. And I look back and go, God, Acts chapter 4 is amazing what the move of God's doing in people's life. How is it possible? And I think it's all summed up in verse 31, what we looked at last week. They were all filled with who, friends? (laughs) There's nothing like walking a filled life with the Spirit. There is life-changing, transforming power of the Spirit. And that is what you see the church being filled with, the Spirit of God. They were filled and shaped by the desires of Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question. Who or what fills and shapes your heart? will never be the godly, Christ-centered, soul-anchoring, heart-stirring, encouraging church if we're not filled with the presence of Holy Spirit. I have a lot of my study time now on my front porch, which if you ever drive by my house and you know where I live and I'm on the front porch, please honk. I love to wave at you. 
Sometimes I hear my earbuds in, which is noise canceling. And if you honk and I don't wave at you, I'm not being mean. It just means I don't hear you. (laughs) But I found my front porch to be that meeting place with God as I study. And I sat back and I said, God, we need encouragement. And these names came to my mind. Cheryl Presnell, she encouraged me last week after our outdoor service together. She says, I know this upcoming week is going to be tough for you. I'm praying for you. I was like, oh, how does she know it's going to be a tough week? Because she remembered when my father passed away and last Wednesday was a year ago my father passed away. one word she said like that that uplifted my soul Janie Pischel texting me a couple weeks ago all the time Pastor I'm just praying for you you know continue to be faithful continue to pursue everything in that moment I took those snapshots on my phone I'm like I'm not going to let that encouragement go by I'm putting that one in my pocket but she uplifted my soul Bethany Little and all her messages to my wife and I, how she's praying for us. Can I let you know, ministry's tough. Julia Miller will send me emails of encouragement. I created a folder called Encouragement, my email, just because of how many encouraging words I get from her. So when life gets tough, Click on encouragement, find those emails and just read through it. What I feel like throwing in the towel, I'm reminded God course corrects me through people and reminding what my mission and what my God-given purpose is. And I'm not done here. Cindy Corbin and Sandy Watson, their emails and text messages and just how they love on not only me but our entire staff is so encouraging two years ago was tough for all of us you've heard my story I, I, I was this close in August of 2020 throwing in the towel and say I can't get church right I require masks half the church will hate me if I don't require masks half the church is going to hate me Why aren't you open yet? I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out God's good and pleasing will is for our church. Then we open. Well, we have registration to keep us safe. I don't know. Then people leave. Well, I'm going to another church because you should never register to go to church. I'm just trying to keep people safe. And I literally, in my heart, I was like, God, you know what? I'm just done with this. I'm in a loo. I can't win. This is why you need to pray for not only this church, but other church pastors. That was the toughest season of our lives. We couldn't please anyone. But Laura Riso came into my office and said she felt awful that I almost threw in the towel. And you know what? She gifted me, Laura. You're, I think you're here somewhere. You gave, gifted me a whoopee cushion. <laughs> like of all things. I got a card and I open up the card. There's a whoopee cushion in the card. But that one moment lifted my soul. Paul 
all Jennifer Smith's, your guys' emails and text messages at the right moment lift my wife and I's souls. Dave Northrop, I'm grateful for you. Man, you just have the gift of generosity and you live into it. Can I say, Dave, keep living into it. Bill Tekela, every time I meet with you, I have a special notebook of all your encouragement and wisdom that I carry with me every time I meet with that man. That man ministered to my parents when they were going through a rough time. And here he is ministering to me today. I love him. Greg Stevens, your text messages through and through throughout the week as you hold me accountable to things. I'm grateful for you. Chris Riso, back in June, you sent a text message to me on a Sunday after I had a, it was a Sunday in June that Pastor Brandon and I co-taught and I taught the first in this service. I had to go catch a flight in Detroit and I got done with my part and basically ran to the parking lot and left. And I'm just worshiping. I'm like, God, I just need you. I don't even know if the church is getting this. I, I, I don't know. I just, I know I need you. I know I need you. And I'm in the middle of this worship and God is just pouring into me and this message comes. just says, I want you to know I'm more grateful for you than you know. I broke down crying in my car to grab a flight from the Delta from Detroit in that moment. Gary Barker, who grew up a pastor's kid that understands what the families go through who pastor churches blesses our entire staff every Christmas. You guys have no idea that we have a big family thing with all of our staff and everyone who's on uh, staff here and he just blesses us and it's beautiful and we're grateful for him. The prayer team two weeks ago caught me, different people in our prayer ministry caught me in the lobby saying, I'm going to lift you up in prayer and lay the hands on me and lifted it up. I'm so grateful. Moments of that where we step up and we be the church. Missing names, and I'm thankful for all of you. I've snapshot the encouragements. Thank you. Because I'm a living testimony of Acts 4 32 through 37 because of you. So thank you. And as I sat on the front porch, I said, God, just we gotta encourage. What's your encouragement for us? It's clear as day. Remind them that the Heavenly Father loves you. Man, He loves you. He loves you. Remind them that my son paid a price and they're forgiven and covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And remind them, I told them, I will never leave them nor forsake them. Remind them, there's nothing like a spirit-filled life. Remind them, my presence is with them. Oh, aren't you grateful for the love of Jesus? So right now, I know you guys have your communion cups. We're going to take communion in a moment. But first, we're going to sing a song first. The song is a song we introduced a couple weeks ago called Scars. I just want to say, I'm going to invite you, will you please stand? Will you please not leave early? I know what the time is. It will get done in 10 minutes. This is too important. Will you please stand?
let's worship with a heart of gratitude. Just say, how great is your love? If we get nothing out of this message, but we know this, we worship because of his great love he covers with us. So let's worship with a grateful heart. Let's worship with this reckless abandonment, knowing how great is your love for us, Jesus. That is the greatest encouragement, is you are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. How great is your love.